Um, welcome to everybody signing on here. And everybody's just getting logged on. Um, we appreciate uh, everybody taking time out of their Wednesday night to join us um, for another night of, of talking about uh, combat-ready things and everything. I think we have a, a pretty decent um, show planned for tonight, some interesting topics um, that, that Floyd and I have been talking about. So tonight uh, on the show with me is uh, Battalion Chief Floyd Wise. Um, you've got, if you've been on here before, you've probably seen Floyd on here before. He's my man. We teach on the road a lot together. And uh, as I mentioned, he's Battalion Chief with the Harrisburg Bureau of Fire in uh, the capital city of Pennsylvania there. Um, not, no slouch department there for sure. Definitely um, some good experience there. And I know as it relates to what we're going to talk about tonight, Floyd was actually the one that kind of brought up the idea of talking about um, inside truck operations and command at, at these high-rise, or I guess we should more say mid-rise, multiple dwellings, which I know is something that is definitely prevalent there in the Northeast Mid-Atlantic Corridor and, of course, all around the country. So I'm um, going to get into that here in, in a couple seconds. A couple announcements. Um, last week, uh, we had a great time on the uh, webinar and um, finished up a, a revision of the aggressive truck company on the inside team. We appreciate everybody's support and everybody that was able to sign on um, on there and participate in that. Um, if you missed it, um, that is now available as a as an on-demand rental um, on our website, combatreadyfire.com. So you can go on there and, and take a look. We kind of divide all these up. It's not just a two and a half hour movie recording. You know, this, this one is divided into seven different parts. They're of various lengths. You can, you know, watch them in a row. You can go back and forth and, and, and mix, mix and match. You can rewatch them if you mixed anything or anything like that. So if you're looking for some good stuff, um, you know, I think on the truck stuff, definitely some conversations starters in there. If you're looking at it as an individual, um, it is uh, available. The on-demand rental includes um, access for seven days. Um, and if you're looking for it for your department or your training group or anything like that, um, shoot me an email nmartin at combatreadyfire.com and we offer uh, we, we uh, offer group discounts and bulk rates and all that kind of stuff um, to bring all of our programs to you guys. So along that line, um, you know we've been we've been having a great time uh, selling some cool clothes and hats and stuff too. So we wanted to extend everybody on the show tonight an offer. It says through the weekend. It actually means through the end of the night. So through the end of the night, 10% off of everything, uh, all the hats and shirts and stuff in our store, on our website, and also 10% um, off of um, any of our online programs. Um, just use that code FIRSTALARM10, and there you go. So um, as we, uh, we kind of get into tonight, you know, um, the topic that we, we decided we wanted to talk about was kind of uh, searches and, and some command stuff. Um, predominantly in these, uh, in these, man, I'm clicking all the wrong buttons. There are, there I am. Whew. We'll excuse that <laughs> tech error. Um, but we wanted to talk about some, some truck operations at these mid-rise multiple dwellings. So, um, before we get into that, Floyd, you want to say hi to everybody? Anything exciting going on in your life or what? Hey, everybody out there, uh, in, uh, come the combat, uh, <clears throat> ready page. Uh, not much, pretty still, much still surviving the winter. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, uh, my department, uh, it's a little like good news. Uh, last week they had a rescue of an individual from a home, uh, <laughs> rescue from an individual home, uh, in the city. So the fire department doing good things like normal. Uh, I can, uh, finally, uh, Nick find entertaining that I finally have a newer car I'm driving in. 
I've been updated into a into a uh, expedition. It's nice to have a new set of wheels. So oh, I thought you had like an eighty seven Caprice. Did you you upgrade it out of that? No, we didn't. We, uh, I moved up. I'm in the Ford Expedition now. I'm moving up in the world. It's nice. I love it. And uh, so good things happening. Uh, uh, looking forward to tonight's discussion. Again, I think I think this is you know we've been hitting the uh, a lot of single family dwellings, and I kind of just want to talk about uh, with tonight some of the magnitude of issues, even though we're still doing the same uh, tactical you know, check in the box type stuff, but in our multifamilies, it's, it's compounded. And we're going to talk about all these features that build up against us. And then, like you said, combining the discussion from the truck company standpoint, and then given kind of my take on the command standpoint, when we're looking at these multifamilies, uh, what do I have to manage? What's more difficult for, for the command officers that are out there? Yeah. So we're, we're going to jump into that for sure. Um, already got some questions floating in. Our intent here is to answer questions live. Um, so if you have some questions, topics you want to talk about, we have a plan. Uh, Floyd and I are very happy to deviate from the plan um, and go down whatever rabbit hole we get into. So please throw your questions up in there. And also, even if we can't uh, get to it personally, you know, there's a lot of other people from around the country on here. And we hope that you guys will engage and chat with each other also because, you know, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. And that's what we're all here to do is to exchange good information. So. Um, just some things going on with me. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm coming off a great day yesterday because yesterday I got to got to go backwards a little bit and ride 24 on the engine. So I spent 24 hours yesterday as the officer on engine three. Um, it's kind of one of the benefits of, of my job in my department here is I even though I'm a battalion chief and in the daytime I'm the, the training officer, I still have the ability to, to get on a rig and, and ride backwards, ride the seat, drive, whatever, whatever the need is. Um, and I think that's tremendously valuable. Uh, I think it keeps us grounded. You know, I've been, uh, it was crazy. I was thinking the other day, you know, I've, I've been a, a career chief now for like approaching 10 years. Um, and I never want to be that guy that, that other guys refer to and say like, man, he hasn't ridden a fire truck in 20 years. You know, he don't know what it's like. He don't know what it's about. You know, my heart is still on that Haugen bar and at that nozzle. And, and I never want to get too far away from it. So, I mean, I just have to, I, I feel I'm truly lucky um, to work in an organization that values that kind of thing and that provides me with the opportunity to do that. So um, we did run a bunch of good runs. They all turned out to be BS, but I mean, it wasn't all medicals. So I'll take that um, and had a good crew and a good time. So, you know, um, on top of that, you know, not that everybody's here for my personal life, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to go on this rant just a little bit. Um, I'm very saddened and concerned by the state of the fire service Internet. Um, and I guess maybe that's a greater commentary on the state of the world or state of life or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, so much of it is just going to trash, you know, I mean, and I'm not I'm not bitching. I'm not looking for sympathy or anything because I'm one of the guys I put myself out there every day. Um, I tell guys what I think. I tell you what I how I feel. I share pics of me at work, of my of my fire department, of, of my fires, of my family. And that opens yourself up to, you know, whatever you get for it and everything. Um and I, you know, one thing I, I definitely do think is, is I, I don't have regrets about my career. I, I'll be honest, for better or worse, I don't have a lack of confidence about where I am in my career. I feel like I know I got an idea what I'm doing. Um, so it, it doesn't demoralize me in that manner when I read some of this trash on the Internet. You know, I, guys that really know me know that I post. I don't read. Um, and, and the crap from the idiots out there doesn't offend me because it never gets to me. But um, what, what really bothers me is when I see, you know, people out there that are not offering an alternate opinion, or they're not offering a different way of doing things, they're not offering any kind of constructive, uh, different point of view or criticism or anything out there, 
they're just offering trash, right? And you look at you look at somebody's, you know, re, you know, I, I, somebody replied very thoughtfully on one of my posts lately, asking a very good question, and you could tell the guy was putting himself out there a little bit, you know, and maybe didn't have the greatest experience in the world, but what was trying to learn and ask questions. And instantly, some you know yo-yo ass clown from Nowhereville just decided to light this guy up, you know. And then I look into this guy's background, and you know, and he's like, you know, living in a hovel somewhere. I don't think works for any fire department. He's got zero experience and had nothing to add other than just like calling this guy an idiot. And and I think that, you know, it, a couple of very simple things, you know, that that I feel like may have served me well at least at certain points in my life. You know, number one, if, if you don't have anything nice to say, nobody's asking your opinion. Scroll on. Nobody needs to know what you think. You know what I'm saying? And number two, uh, you know, it's it's better to let everybody think you're an idiot than to, than to re- open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, and, and some of these people <laughs> that, that try and put, you know, these nonsensical things out there, they really remove all doubt that they're an idiot um, as, you know, as soon as you read it. So, you know, those of you, I get the emails all the time that get put down by these guys and then let it, let it bother you. Don't, you know, don't let it bother you. You know, don't let it bother you. I do think there's a danger. Like I, I talk a lot about, you know, surround yourself with like-minded people. And I believe wholeheartedly in that. I feel like that's what we've got to do. But there, there is a danger point in that, right? The, the danger point in that is when we, we envelop ourselves in an echo chamber. Right. If I if I want to, I can surround myself with 10 people that will just tell me that everything I do is the right thing to do. And every way I do it is the only way to do it. And everything I say is the right thing to say. It'll make me feel great, but I will never grow outside of that box. And I think that those boxes are exactly how we get to this spot. Right. Is because we do have people that grew up in 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 an environment, a department, a lifestyle or a way of doing things where nobody ever challenged them on how to do it, where nobody ever said there's another way to do that. And so for 10, 20, 30, 50 years, they've been doing and thinking that. And when you post something different on the Internet, for some reason, it personally offends them as if you actually knew who they were and were seeking to, to get them your message like, you know. I, I think that there, you, you got to find that balance, right? You can't allow yourself to be consumed by trolls and morons, but you also can't surround yourself by such a tightly closed box that you never get challenged and you never have somebody point anything out. So I don't know if that made any sense at all, um, but I was thinking about that all day today, so I knew it was going to come out at some point. Floyd, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I know you're a little bit less of an Internet guy than I am. but Well, uh, growing growing into the Internet, I think you're, I think you're 100% right. It's- Super unfortunate that our fire service has grown uh, somewhat pessimistic, in that people are sometimes more concerned pulling other people down versus moving moving everybody else forward. You know, we as a fire service, you know, we need to succeed together and help each other. And I think for everybody needs to be reminded. And trust me, I'm far from an expert on the fire service. I'm every day I'm trying to learn something new. I'm trying to be a better at a skill. Um, I, I think that we got to remember that everybody had their first day in the fire service. Even the people out there that are super experienced and have gone to a million fires, they had their first day when they didn't know what they know now, and they had to be mentored and learn. And so, you know, we all need to help and remember that we started somewhere. So let's be positive. That's one thing I like about the Combat Ready page is our focus of that page is for to, for everybody to have an honest, um, an honest uh, exchange of information. Uh, with with no negative connotation. If you have a question, feel free to answer it. And there's a lot of people out there who will give you a a fresh perspective on something. That's what we're here for. It's 
it's it's all positive based. And if you're going to be that person that wants to pull people down, please don't join our page. Don't be part of Combat Ready because we don't we don't need any more of that in the fire service. We have enough of it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And and not to belabor on it too long, but you know, if you don't know, you know, one of the things about my career is I haven't I haven't been in the same fire department my entire life, right? I spent most of my time as a firefighter and officer in the Metro DC area. You know, I did about 10 years with D.C. Fire Department, and, and the rest of my career has been split between South Carolina and North Carolina. And some people look at that as a negative thing, you know, about, you know, not being in the same fire department for 40 years. I have come to appreciate that it's that I feel and, and maybe I'm just patting myself, but I mean that it's an intensely positive thing because I have I have gone to, you know, trailer fires surrounded by alligators with tankers and three guys in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. And I was on the companies that was first due to the White House and first due to the U.S. Capitol, you know, and that's and a very wide range perspective that I would I wouldn't do a lot of things the same way. Would I force a door the same way? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of skill level things apply. Right. But especially when you get into differences in tactics and differences in strategies, you know, I have come to learn that there are so many variable in, in different organizations um, that it, it's hard to say that there's one way of doing things. Is there one? Is there one way to force an outward opening door? I don't know. There's probably a good plan A we can all agree with. You know, are there certain mindsets that I feel like probably ought to be in every fire department in the country? Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes, you know, I, I feel like, you know, people that have been in a fire department for 40 years just want to spit on you if you don't do things the way their department does it. And, and I don't know if that's just because it's the only way they know, if it's because it's defensive and like, you know, well, if you're not doing it like me, then I'm, that means I'm not doing it right. So I'm going to make sure that you know that I, my way is the only way to do it. But I just feel like, you know, that we're, we're headed in a, down a dangerous path there. And, and I don't have any suggestions about how to get us off that path. I'm not that smart. Um, but what I would say to everybody is if, if you exit the conversation, the conversation will continue without you. Um, and the morons will just take over. So the answer isn't just to give in. In many ways, the answer is to just have tougher skin, recognize it for what it is, and do not engage the idiots in internet debate. Right? All that does is is strengthen their point and make you look like an idiot along with them. Stay away from it. Right? It's fine to exchange ideas. It's it's fine to put out there your point of view. That's especially fine when it's in a towards a productive end. But getting in a, a ridiculous debate with some anonymous zero you know, on the other end of a, of a computer who just wishes their life was better, ain't doing anything for you. That said, anyway, let's talk about <laughs> mid-rise multiple dwelling fires. Um, so, oh, Floyd, you know, you, you brought this up um, when we were chatting earlier, so I want to let you kind of kick it off. When we talk about a mid-rise multiple dwelling, or at least, you know, in, in your head what you were referring to, Tell us a little bit about that building type and why it's something you wanted to talk about tonight. Okay, so kind of what triggered this for me was uh, while I was at work last week, uh, driving around in my new vehicle, enjoying it, um, I was looking at some some different buildings that that I have not maybe had incidents in or around. And while I was sitting at a certain intersection, um, I noticed a four-story, uh, what was obviously a multi-family uh, correct, sorry, five-story multifamily, very deep building, extremely deep, uh, the way they were, the apartments were stacked, and I was just sitting there and uh, going through my mental models of, you know, if this building was on fire, you know, a fire on, say, the third floor, 
and I'm sitting here, how would I address it? And, you know, I started to think about, um, you know, have we had some discussions based on how this changes uh, the nature of that incident, um, how the, the building construction type, uh, the size of the building, height of the building, construction design of the building that works for us or against us, uh, stairwell designs. Uh, then I started thinking about kind of the, the tactical templates of the engine and truck companies and like the stretches. How would the stretch be significantly different? It, whether, and we look at the age of the buildings, I'm sure we'll get to that later on when we look at it, if we're looking at a turn of the century, mid-rise or something that was built in the last 10 years that has fixed protection systems in. Uh, if we look at a turn of the century that if it does have a standpipe may or may not be code compliant if it's available, how are we going to get to that fifth floor, the apartment that's at the end of the end of the central hallway? How do we make that threat? Yeah. So it, and then from, a good question I mean, kind of related to that Matt just popped up in there and tell me what you think. It at, at what point, let's just shooting from the hip. We're looking at a five story multiple dwelling at what floor in that building or below are you thinking that a lot of this is very similar to, you know, um, a, a house or like a two or three story garden apartment or something like that? Um, I think I think if we had a fire, I'm just going to suggest the third floor. I think if we're at the third floor, I believe that we can develop lines long enough from our standard pre-connects that we have available or lengthening a line off of standard tactics. Um, I think that when we get to four, five, six and above. We're going to have to look at some other we're gonna have to plan ahead we're gonna you know if, if again if a fixed system's available ideally a standpipe then we're good uh that solves some of our issues but uh again we could have a standpipe failure we can get into that whole that's a whole nother you know rabbit hole to jump into but just looking at this and then i started thinking about truck company uh forcible entry issues how many apartments on the floor if each apartment is let's just assume two bedrooms a bathroom a kitchen a living room that's a small single family dwelling in, in, in essence, small square footage, that's a small single family dwelling. You could have four to six of them on a single floor mm-hmm. that have to be searched and, you know, check for fire extension. And then if you have four or five or six floors of that, that's significant uh, acreage that has to be covered. Well, and I, I think so, one, so of the, one of the resources that goes along with that, you know, is, is, you know, when I think of an apartment house or an apartment building, um, you know, different from like a garden style apartment or something. I am generally thinking, you know, I think about an apartment building or this multiple dwelling we're talking about. We're talking about and an, not only an enclosed stairwell, but a stairwell that is more likely located within the body of the building. And without a lot of great pictures, I don't know how to try to describe that the best way I can. But, you know, a garden apartment would be that that typical uh, three floors, couple of units on each floor on each side, a stairwell in the center. But that stairwell is the front of the building. It may be open or in some environments it might be closed. But the point is, when you go in that front door, you go right into the stairwell. Whereas, am I correct in saying that what you're talking about here, the multiple dwelling, you know, apartment house kind of thing. When you go into that front door, you're more you're more going into some kind of lobby um, before you get into correct a lobby area and then a stairwell that serves uh, a portion of the building or or and we can talk about I have some diagrams. I don't know if I can pull them up, but um so to lead off with, and this was, if anybody's never read the Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics, this is, this, in my opinion, is one of the core books that I think every firefighter out there should should read, not just for promotion, but I see this almost as an academy-level educational book. What do you think, Nick? 
Yeah, I, I, there are, there are a couple of books on my shelf that I actually, uh, I feel like I regularly reference when I'm thinking about tactics and fire scenarios, um, and and that and uh, Anthony Avillo's Fireground Strategies um, are, are really the top two that that I go to kind of bounce some ideas off of. So one of the things I was thinking was, uh, you know, you pull up in front of a multi-story, multi-family dwelling, and we talk about time, time versus the fire ground. So on a single-family dwelling. Uh, if I have a fire in the interior and I want a hand line stretched, I can get that line in place and developed and flowing water in the area of that fire. Maybe, you know, if my guys are trained well and they're speedy, maybe a minute, a minute, charge hand line, moving in to put fire out. So one of the quotes that I want to start off with was it's uh, in on chapter 13 and, and it talks about time on the fire ground in a Molly family. So John Norman in this book quotes, that only an early recognition of a common problem will enable us to deploy units to solve them. In many a larger apartment buildings, the officer in command must take into account the time factor necessary to implement a tactic. This requires the ability to recognize the situation as it currently exists and to protect what that situation will become during the time it takes to set up the operation. For example, if a fire is in a couch and it can, can be controlled by the water or it can be controlled by a water extinguisher, but if the extinguisher is on the apparatus and the couch is on the sixth floor, it wouldn't be wise to order only an extinguisher to be brought up. By the time it arrives, the fire will probably require at minimum a hand line having ignited the rest of the room because of time. So I think that when we're looking at as from a command standpoint, we're looking at these multifamily dwellings. We can't expect our operations to happen as quickly. So because of that, we've got to bring more resources and we've got to work faster ahead of the fire than what we're expect expecting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, trying to heed my own advice from earlier, because instantly when we talk about these fires and um, and and um, stretches, my inner D.C. fireman wants to shout out um, because, you know, we would we would definitely stretch to the fourth floor off the rig, uh, even if a building had standpipes. Probably to the fifth, and if I think hard, I can probably think that we've done it faster or done it further than that. Now, if if the building had a standpipe, was that a standard operating policy to stretch from the engine, regardless? We could we could do either. Uh, the the, oh, okay. the engine, the wagon driver still had to secure the connections, um, but the you know okay. we could we could stretch, you know we could stretch from the rig or we could stretch off the standpipes if possible or if necessary. Now we're kind of going down the engine thing, but I mean we would always stretch off the rig because. You know, a, a litany of reasons I always talk about, you know, the standpipe systems were unreliable. It takes forever to make those connections, send water through it, find the outlet and then flake it out in the hall. You know, it just in general, kind of like you said earlier, is, is it was faster to get the line on the fire by stretching from the rig. Later, later arriving companies might end up stretching the second, third or fourth line off of the, of the standpipes. But that initial line, a lot of times when feasible was was and when feasible i mean if we could get the rig in position and had the right kind of stairwell you know was stretched off of the stretched off of the rig but the other thing in there is and you mentioned um the call for the line thing and and this is this is a rub against some cultures or anything but i have never been in a call for a line culture right because the call for a line culture is the is the truck goes first and locates the fire um and then calls back with location and calls for a line if it's a fire um Better or worse, like it was like there, it was like this before I got there. I was just part of it. You know, the the companies that I was a part of, or the departments that I was a part of, were a uh, the line will already be there culture. Like that when we were coming off the rig and there was the the box was for smoke on the fourth floor, we were stretching to the fourth floor, and the truck. Yeah, I can't imagine you would wait on that. 
Yeah, I mean, the truck might have been an inch or two ahead of us, but, um, you know, we were right on their heels. And instantly guys are, oh, oh, how are you going to stretch when you don't know where it is? You know, more often than not, you were either at the right place or within the right spot to get to the right place quicker than you were from the street. And also, when we get deep into things and we talk about building fire departments and building tactical plans, you know, our tactical plan was putting four hose lines um, in service on the first alarm fire. I mean, so, you know, if yours didn't get it, uh, one of the other three was gone. So, right, but anyway, enough there to make up for that. The guys came for truck talk, and now we're talking about stretching lines. But you know, these are the rabbit holes that we go down. Well, like likewise, though, I mean, from the truck standpoint, as I'm viewing this building, I'm thinking about a first arriving truck, and I'm thinking about the reality of splitting them two in, two out in a four man truck company, and I'm going to send two two personnel to let's say the fourth or fifth floor, smoking the floor, and maybe the apartment door was left open, and they get zero visibility. Uh, to get down that hallway and to begin a, a realistic search in a multi-family. And, you know, if it's three in the morning and you're looking at a, a, the potential in, culturally in some households of, of eight people living in an apartment or more, what are those two firefighters going to do? You know, how do I resource them? How do I assist them? Um, you know, two firefighters that encounter a civilian and to get them back to a stairwell, you know, that's going to take some time. And so... I'm looking at alarms to support the search. Yeah. Uh, reinforcing the search. I, I'm glad you said that, Floyd, because I, I had that on standby here. That was one of the main things I wanted to make sure I talk about tonight. I put it up on the screen. I hope you can see it too, Floyd. Um, but this yep. was something we talked about in the in the in the inside truck program. Um, is I just can't overemphasize how how much we need to to protect that search, right? You know, yes, the victims are the priority. Yes, the number one thing is to get the victims out. But, you know, so many firefighters and, and so many fire departments have gotten themselves in a ton of trouble by not realizing that we also need to simultaneously be getting water on the fire. And you can look back at tragedies like the Vendalia Avenue fire in New York City, you know, and, and think about these, these buildings and how their hallways um, you know, tend, tend to become basically ventilation funnels that can very quickly go against your favor and bring hellfire down on you with nowhere to go. We've got to make sure that it, it, we can't be so tunnel visioned on the rescue that we forget to do the search that supports the rescue. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think, well, look at the, uh, the anniversary of Black Sunday. That was, I think, what, last week? Um, I mean, that's an example there, again, of firefighters being trapped above fire. And again, from a command standpoint, how do we support both of these missions, fire control and search simultaneously? Uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm coming to the box, and this goes back to what we talked about, I think, last month. I'm coming with two engines, two trucks on a single family or a multifamily. So same package. The multifamily is a different issue right from the get-go, especially if I have the fire lower in the building. If the fire's in the third floor, and I've got two or three floors above of occupants trapped, that for me, immediately I have to call for many multiple alarms to cover what I'm going to require firefighters and companies to do. And I've got to get them there like yesterday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, to, to, to going back to the hose line a little bit, we talk about that protection of the search. I mean, that's, I guess it was just always my mentality, but I feel like it now also matches the science 
you know, that if, if you're calling for a line and the line is five floors down in the street and you've already found the fire, which means you've opened up in some way to find this fire and get to it and presumably you're starting searching like, man, the, the fire doesn't have the kind of patience, you know, to wait for the, the hose line to get from five floors down up. Right. If that line's not already on that floor, or yeah, at least in the stairs, at least stage the floor or two below or something like, I mean, you're setting yourself up for for a bad spot there. Um, right. So right. Let, let's talk about this, Floyd. And I, I do want to talk about, to whatever extent you can, the fire that, that you know, the rescue that you guys had um, recently in a little bit here. But, you know, one of the things when we talk about this multiple dwelling is by its nature, and, and you alluded to it earlier, there's a lot of units in it. Right. And you can't put a number on that. But I mean, there could be anywhere from a bunch to a lot, whatever numbers you want to put on that. There's a lot of people in this building. Um, And I feel like a lot of times when you have this conversation um, there, you can tell that there there is a an intention of some kind that we're going to search and remove uh, or search for and remove every person in this building during this fire. How do you feel about that? Is that a realistic goal? I think uh, maybe on paper that might sound good. Realistically, I'm not going to be able to ever bring enough staff in a, in a period of time that's relevant to remove, you know, 40 occupants. So, um, you know, the best we can hope for is that some of them are sheltering. Uh, they're in a, a, a safer, safer area. Uh, and I can get to them when, we, when I get some smoke out of the building. Um, you know, I've got to concern myself priority-wise, obviously, of the floor of the fire and then uh, the next priority, you know, get to the floor above the fire, check for extension, and top floors uh, in terms of priority. Those below, uh, you know, those below might might have very little smoke or are in very little danger. But I certainly cannot realistically get to probably every single apartment. Yeah, and and it goes to another thing that um, we talked about in the in the truck program was when you when you talk about a fire in any building type, there are three kinds of potential victims in that building. Um, there are unfortunately some victims that are already dead because of whatever circumstance and they were dead before you got there and they're going to be dead after you leave, right? There are some people in the building that they're, they're in the building and they're not actually in any imminent danger. They're just scared, right? Um, and then the third category of people are these people that literally have moments to live, right? They're, they're sucking a carpet, guppy breathing, losing consciousness and you know you're at the fork in the road you're going to get them or they're going into the already dead set category right so we we need to remember that you know that third category the ones with moments to live that is the group that that our time um is best spent on and uh sometimes i i have i have seen or, or hear about you know fires where we spend a large um, percentage of our first alarm resources escorting people that are in no danger out of the building, bro. If they can walk out of the building, yeah. they weren't yep, yep. About head down, to die, walk out. right? Uh, yep. So find your way out if you can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, what about what about you know companies that encounter a stair or a stairwell, or you get into a hallway and you have those people that attempted to flee. Uh, I mean, I think that's a realistic expectation. You may encounter those victims like just as soon as you're out of the stairwell, right there. That's another thing I never saw be successful. I never saw be successful or have value was this idea of an attack stairwell and a rescue stairwell, right? You know, you picture yeah. these civilians that are in the building. 
the people that think they're about to die, do you really think they're going to listen to you when you say, no, 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 ma'am, that's the attack stairwell. You need to go to the other end back, of the hall. To the, go back to the down the hallway you just came through. You'll be okay. They're, yeah. They're, yeah, that's... Right, so they're not going to listen to you. And, and so both stairwells end up polluted with both groups. Um, and if you truly have enough time, uh, I don't really know what the circumstance is where you truly have enough time. Like, all right, yeah, you know, in, in an hour, the building's going to fall down. So we really need to get everybody out. We're going to file single file, file down the rescue stairwell. So I, I, I just never saw that being successful. Um, I, I, I think that the real thing we've got to be looking at is, you know, in an offensive fire in these multiple dwellings, you know, who is in a position that we, we need to shelter them in place and who's in a position that we need to rescue, right? So Matt's kind of talking about that a little bit here, right? So we have somebody hanging out a window and they're in, they're in, there is an apartment in their building that's on fire, but they'd be better off sheltering in place. Floyd, how, how are you going to deal with that? Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, it depends on what floor they're on. And so we're looking at truck company again. When you're working these uh, six or eight story buildings, um, you know, the old school uh, uh, drills of scrubbing the building with your tower ladder. Uh, this is where they sh these truck companies better be working the outside of the building. If need be, picking those people off and getting multiple people into a platform and then getting them down on the footprint where they can and getting back up there. So the outside chauffeur, he better be doing some work, getting in position. Uh, they might be making those grabs from balconies or from the exterior windows. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's a very important point. You know, our our truck companies, um, and we talk about it in the program, can operate in either a split mode, um, inside outside, or an all in mode, everybody goes inside, or an all out mode, everybody stays outside. But the all in mode is is actually kind of a little bit of a misnomer because in all three of those modes, the driver stays outside in a little bit of different capacities, but the driver is always outside setting up the rig and operating the rig. And at different fire types, that's for different reasons, whether it's commercial or this multiple dwelling. But as it relates to what we're talking about, that's a perfect example of if we've got the, the tower driver still outside, you know, one guy in a tower bucket can still move around and either pull people off or, or tell them to shelter in place. Another Absolutely. thing is, though, and I know you've been there, you know, anytime a work and fire comes in in one of these buildings, you instantly start getting calls from communications that, you know, 300 people are calling 911 saying they're trapped in their building. So, yep. you know, sometimes um, and it's not going to fix all of them, but it's better than nothing. And it gives communications something to do. But sometimes it'd be as simple as, you know, command of communications advise anybody calling saying they're trapped to, you know, uh, to shelter in place in their apartment and to place towels under their door and send me the apartment numbers on the MDT. We'll, right? we'll be we'll be there as soon as we can. Well, and, and so the and, and so there's a couple strategies there, right? It's number one, give communications something to tell these people, give those people something to do, um, feel like they've been acknowledged, feel like they somebody knows they're there, feel like they're doing something to assist in their own protection. And then the last mm -hmm. part, I would ask them to send the apartment numbers. I don't need it over the radio every 20 seconds. You know what a barrage. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't can't afford that. But if you have a CAD, MDT, computer, you know, carrier pigeon, whatever you got, and you're, you probably got the carrier pigeon there, Floyd, and yours, I know, in your Caprice. But Styrofoam, two cups, straight. But, you know, the point being is if they're not calling me on the radio every 27 seconds, they're sending me those apartment numbers, 
then I can refer to that list and make sure that when appropriate, we absolutely, do. absolutely, and that's and that's common. Which I have had that occur where you're going to start getting those calls for apartments being called in. That should be expected. Unfortunately, that can add to a real communications issue on your fire ground when you're trying to run an operation. And if you're running that operation on one channel, shame on you. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the the um, the other thing I think we need to talk about there is what delineates to you whether somebody needs to be sheltered or rescued. Um, that's going to be tough. I mean, I got to. You know, my crew's got to make that that contact with where they are. I mean, obviously, we're going to concentrate on the fire apartment. Those people that are in the apartment and surrounding apartments directly on the fire floor absolutely should probably be removed if they can, assuming that we're not going to expose them to, you know, a worse condition than if they stayed in the apartment. In other words, if we open their apartment door and their apartment's clean, they can probably stay where they are, um, you know, regardless. Um the people, the floors above, obviously the toxic smoke is our issue that we have to deal with. Uh, again, I think I think it's got to be on a case by case as the as the firefighters encounter these civilians and determine if they need to be removed or even if we can just get them to the safety of a stairwell. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's in a newer building with a protected stairwell, that's better than that's much better than the conditions probably in the hallway or the apartment itself. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good point. Is um, and I, I'm gonna say this as a rule of thumb. Which doesn't, which means it doesn't cover everything. But nine out of ten, I am not worried about people below the fire floor. So if the fire is on four, I'm not worried about people three and below. You know, yeah, we can get into crazy things like stack effects and like weird things like that. Okay, barring those kind of things, which don't happen at these fires very often, I'm not worried about the people below. Right. So my obvious, my obvious primary. Um, concern is the people on the fire floor and i think okay so if i'm on the search team right if i'm if i'm the truck officer or the irons firefighter or whatever one of the things i want to keep in my mind is as i was moving down this hallway and doing the apartments what was the conditions in the hallway right if the hallway was shit right i mean if the hallway was zero visibility blacked out hot you know that kind of thing because we lost the door or whatever then you got to remember that that when you find a victim in whatever apartment almost certainly wherever they are is better than that hallway, right? Um, right? Because also you realize once you bring them into that hallway, they're in a funnel, right? I mean, I was in, I was a part of a grab on a ninth floor in one of those hallways, zero visibility, um, you know, very hot. And I mean, I couldn't see anybody in the hallway, inclu including other firefighters. It was a melee. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was, you know, 75, 100 foot, back down that hall so once you've committed to that environment it, even if the environment was good before it can rapidly deteriorate in in that kind of time or distance so, nick what you're saying there is again maybe coordination if i'm that inside truck officer and i find a apartment that's clean i may want to coordinate with one of the outside truck companies and bring them out on the exterior and avoid that yeah yeah absolutely and if, and if the conditions in their apartment are clear right if the conditions in their apartment are good if that person is not in any medical need, then I'm really asking myself, am I better off leaving this person here? And you brought up another thing. Do they have a balcony, right? If, they, if they're if they on the other side of the hallway, uh, the other side of the hall from the fire apartment, and their apartment has a balcony, and they can be as simple as just being on the other side of the building out on their balcony, the likelihood that things are going to get to them are very low, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, because the other thing you got to ask yourself is, okay, 
you know, Floyd, you and I are doing this search. We just found somebody. Their apartment is pretty good. They're, they have no immediate medical need. They could chill on this balcony here. We can hang out and babysit this person, but everybody else in this hallway is not going to get found. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the issue. That the, the truck company, we've got to keep moving. We can't yeah. get necessarily tied down unless we find somebody that's really in a, in a bad position that needs Absolutely. to be moved. Absolutely. Then that's another story, but... If somebody's in a position where they're dying or they're going to be dying soon, yeah, we need to we need the we need to do work there. We need to do what we need to do. But it is definitely a very um, stressful circumstance when you're that truck officer and you've got to decide, okay, is this it? Is this the one? Am I staying here in this apartment with this person? What what if they're not the worst? What if there's somebody else? You know, is there somebody else to go search for them? That's a yeah, that's a real that's a real decision point right there. You know. But so, you know, another thing I think this kind of goes into is so, okay, even if you're at a four story, right, let's just play it out. Your fire on the fourth floor, um, fire's coming out the the front of the building on the alpha side, you're going down the hallway and you're doing apartments off off the left of the hall, which in my creation here puts you apartments that are Charlie side facing, right? Right. And and you go into the one across from the fire apartment and, and it's game on in that apartment. The conditions are not good. You close the door, you know, kind of reverse VES yourself a little bit there and you find a victim. This victim does need to come out. Right. But you're on the your your, your choices are the hallway, which is crap. You don't want to be in that um, or out the Charlie side. You go to the Charlie side and it's and it's courtyarded. Um, you know, or there's a rear yard or there's there's some obstacle there that is not allowing a ladder company to get the aerial in position in the rear, right? And so sure. now you're either hoping they can get portables there and a 35 is going to be a real stretch to a third floor if even or fourth floor right. even if possible. So now it's like, okay, is this an old school department that carries banger ladders or 45s or 55s, right? Um, or or what are we thinking about in that scenario now where you've got somebody, you're on the fourth floor, you're at the trolley side, they got to go and you can't get a truck in the rear. That's a tough one. Uh, are we looking at? I mean, like I'm not throwing could, softballs, Floyd. I know right? uh, this. So okay, so uh, shorter ground ladders. I mean, you've only got a couple avenues that they've got to come down, and we've written off. We've written off the interior. Uh, then, in my mind, the only other solution there is looking at uh, doing the old rope lower uh, that FDNY has practiced on for a long time. And that's going to that that's uh, something, you know, that ha- it's been done, uh, you know, putting firefighters on rope or or lowering people down on a rope system, uh, you know, makeshift uh, like a bail kit or something. Um, those techniques are out there. Um, I think from a truck company or a squad company standpoint, that's something you should probably know. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Nick? Yeah. I mean, that that is the go to plan is a, uh, you know, a roof rope rescue or a, a rope, a rope rescue at the rear or whatever. But. That is a real dicey maneuver. Like you don't just come up with that on the fly and Absolutely. change this morning like, and execute it. You're tonight. you're getting an award for that one. You yeah, make it I, happen. You're getting an award. I, I've known some guys that have executed that at real fires, um, and been generous generously recognized for it. And the one thing I don't want to I don't want to put them out here, um, though somebody in the comments just did is a fortunate to to be a friend of mine. Um, you know, would say about that incident um, is that. They practiced that over and over and over and over again. They practiced it like almost every day. They practiced it on days when they were working in the engine instead of working in the truck. It's just one of those things that is such a high-risk, low-frequency maneuver 
that if you are just if you're not buttoned down tight on that, um, it's the outcome is not going to be good for anybody involved. Um, you know, other other things that come. How many? What's you look that? on the fire grounds. So we talk always about our engine and truck companies. What about our rescue companies? Our rescue companies have a real need on these multi-floor uh, or multi-family uh, dwellings. And that's an ex- example right there where that rescue company being dialed in, that's their job. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and well, here's a couple other things, you know, random things that, that we talk about is, um, and it's, it's hard to visualize when we talk about it here, but I mean, you know, one of the favorite stories I like to tell um, about rescues is be, because it was one of my favorite mentors in the fire service. And it's the rescue that Mick McKenzie made at River, Riverdale Road apartment fire in Prince George's County, Maryland. And I want to say it was a 2001, but you know, basically it wasn't a fourth story, but he was in the rear of this apartment building. He was riding the engine that day. First company in the rear person in imminent peril, um, on the, uh, what was, what was basically the fourth floor from the rear because it was you know three in the front four in the rear kind of apartment um and you know he was able to execute a rescue using a 24 foot ladder and a 14 foot ladder and basically use the four, 24 about as high as it would go and use the 14 basically like pompier style with the hooks out hook the balcony and you know shimmied on up and that's you know that's a that's a ballsy move you know but it, it paid off and it saved a life and it, and and that move was replicated um, you know, maybe seven, eight years later by some other members that had heard that story basically did it in a very similar scenario. So, you know, thinking outside of the box in those situations is critical. I'll, I'll give you another one um, that we talked about in the um, in the, uh, the the inside truck program was breaching walls. Um, now, that might obviously be a little bit more time intensive and it may not be always be situation appropriate. But I have used that breaching wall scenario to access um, a, a suspected victim location that was otherwise inaccessible. And the particular scenario I'm talking about was a nasty fire with fire coming out of both sides. It was actually a townhouse, a two-story townhouse, but fires coming out of both, you know, the front and the rear and the one side. It was an end unit. And the inter- inside stairs were burned out. I mean, we were just trying to, we were trying to VES the front. We were trying to VES the rear. It was just, you know, such heavy fire conditions that, you know, we went into the Delta One exposure and ended up breaching walls uh, into the bedroom where the victim was suspected to be. So obviously that's not the that, fastest that, maneuver, but. That wall breaching technique that you're mentioning, uh, going back to, again, to uh, John Norman's book, he talks quite a bit about wind-driven fires in mid-rise and high-rise settings where, you know, you have that blowtorch effect in the stairwell or in the hallway um, of, you know, of a leeward, windward window failing um, that the the advancement from apartment to apartment might be a more viable uh, uh, attack route than actually trying to work your way down the hallway. Again, breaching walls and working apartment to apartment to gain access. So again, that's a thinking outside the box, but I think those are conversations that companies have to have when they're doing building walkthroughs. I think this is when we need to be talking with our company officers and members and saying, hey guys, if this, then what about that? Yeah, and, and it just goes back to that failure is not an option mentality, right? I mean, you got to have that mentality on the fire ground, and if you're gonna be, if you're gonna successfully carry out that mentality on the fire ground, that has got to come um, with investing, you know, in the firehouse in developing these plans, right? You know, you, you're, if you don't already have the plan, if you don't already have Plan B, the likelihood that you're gonna come up to it in a time when it's survivable for the victim, unfortunately, is low, right? Right. So, um, we talked about a bunch of things, you know, regarding rescue. 
I know you, you mentioned also you want we wanted to talk a little bit about command of these incidents. What are you what are you thinking about there? Well, so here's here's how I view this. And um, so normally and, you know, I'm obviously opposed to standing in front of a building and, and uh, working from the sidewalk, even though a lot of departments work that way. Um, this is a unique situation. If I'm in front of a five or six story building and I'm sending vast amounts of companies inside, I'm sending vast amounts of engine companies and truck companies inside to stretch lines on multiple floors and search areas, there is no way that I'm going to have any visibility of where they're operating. So if if you're a proponent of um, divisioning out incidents, if you say that you don't believe in a significant command structure, this is the type of building that should probably sell you on that because I need um, I need bosses to take a floor that you're probably going to have two engine companies and two truck companies per floor at minimum and make make the, the benchmarks happen on that floor and then report to me because I'm going to be firing resources inside the building quickly and I need some people inside to manage where they're going. And again, when we're looking at multiple floors with fire extension, do I have um, division officers that can verify that I'm not, I'm not moving fire through this building in places uh, that I don't want it to go, especially when you look at these turn of the century ordinaries with with voids of wood frames inside and uh you know the construction features i i think that i don't know how you would not operate on a multiple family dwelling without divisioning that into into floors yeah and and a hundred percent agreement a hundred percent agreement but you know that that's also where i talk about is, is is that's unfortunately when you talk about dividing incidents and fire floor chiefs and and command structures and that kind of stuff you know, people very often assert like, oh, yeah, 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 we, we'll do that. We, we do that on the big one, right? You ever see the Tower yep. Inferno movie? Yeah, when we have that, um, yep. that's when we're going to do that stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, when was the last time you had like a, a third alarm fire in a high rise? Like, oh, never had one or 20 years ago, you know? I'm like, great, well, that system ought to work great when you pull it out of the box tonight. You know you know yep. what I'm saying, right? And, you know, and it's that whole kind of thing like, you, you know, I don't want to get on all the tangents about, you know, fire floor chiefs and, you know, dividing incidents and that kind of thing. But if you're not if you're not practiced in how that kind of system works and, and, and the chiefs aren't used to, to how to work with it um, and the firefighters and the officers aren't used to how to work with it, you know, it is not at all going to be successful at one of most your most stressful, complicated fire types. You know what I'm saying? I think that, Nick, think about this, like even a, even the rescue of a single civilian one civilian from a single family home, you know, 14, 1600 foot home can really complicate a fire ground. What are we, what, what's it going to look like when we're bringing out, um, four, five, six, seven, ten people? I mean, what's that going to do to our fire ground if we don't have a significant command structure? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, so you, I mean, you mentioned that you guys had a grab at work lately, or, I mean, is there anything you can share on that or? Um, I think, uh, this was, a. A uh, townhouse style, you know, single family dwellings. Um, unfortunately, it was actually a, a fatal fire. It wasn't my shift, another shift. Uh, a fatal fire. They had an individual die on the first floor, and they had a, another person that actually was in the second floor bedroom in a sheltered bedroom. They were actually in a pretty safe area. They were removed on the Charlie side via ground ladder down to a deck, and the companies did a really good job. But even that single rescue. Um, you know, I wasn't on scene, but just from the radio communications, that single rescue of a person being taken from the Charlie side, you can tell it hampered, hampered the fire ground. The guys did a good job. They had the first floor knocked down, 
But again, I'm, I'm imagining that um, magnified in a multifamily dwelling of, of bringing these individuals down and still managing fire control and still managing checking for fire extension. And then if you add in pieces like you mentioned earlier, like having exterior ladder rescues or, um, you know, rooftop rope rescues, there's got to be some significant command and control on those types of incidents. And I would think, you know, some of the incidents you and I've talked about, like in D.C., where you've had multi-family occupancy fires, I'm assuming there was a pretty robust command response to support that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, a, a D.C. box was always had two battalions on it um, and every battalion chief has an aide. And then on the work and fire, you know, you were getting the shift commander, which would which would you know be another chief. And then on a second alarm, you know, you were getting another chief. And, and so you, right. you, you got it. And, and then in addition to that, once you're at that kind of fire, you're going to get some of the some of the admin staff and stuff like that, too. So you're definitely but, getting a pretty robust structure there. But I, I think what you as, as you and I discussed, though, that's where every every responding chief or or if you're a command officer, whatever rank you are, everyone there. I certainly have a job role for you in the command structure to help me get my eyes on on a really big problem. Yeah, that I mean, absolutely. Nothing pisses me off more than chiefs that just want to show up and watch. Like if you wanted to show up and watch, then, you know, uh, number one, don't come or, or number two, bring your kids and stand behind the fire line tape with everybody else. Right. But we didn't absolutely. need somebody to stand here in a pressed white shirt for the news cameras and not contribute, you know, to the to the organization of this fire. Meanwhile, the, the guys are getting overrun and the incident commander's pulling his hair out because he needs some more help. Right. I mean, if you're coming if you're coming to the party, bring some cake. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come there, come there ready to work. There is a job. There is a job for you, particularly at this kind of fire. And, you know, when I when I think about that, you know, there's a couple of things that, that I think about is, is number one, you know, it's that it's that thing I always talk about, you know, beware the rescue alibi. And the rescue alibi is that, you know, the, the rescue alibi represents a department that is otherwise very organized, very methodical, kicks ass, does the right kind of thing, dialed in, and then wait a minute, somebody's trapped, holy shit, everything explodes, right? And and all of yep. a sudden, Change. because thing we do. Yeah, there, there's a known or suspected entrapment, everybody has just received a hall, pla a hall pass to do whatever the hell they want. And all the plans go out the right. window, and all the the discipline, and all the assignments, and the freelancing is game on, and it just you know it just right. falls apart. And and that you know we have to understand that that you know there are, are there are many things that go in to successfully supporting the rescue, fire control being tops among them, right? Um, and and when we lose our mind because there's somebody trapped in the building, um, then, you know, it, it, it does nothing but detract from our ability to rescue people. And, and I'm pretty sure it's a Norman uh, quote out of the book there is, you know, one of the first quotes in the, one of the first chapters in the book there, you know, talks about how to decide between putting the fire out and rescuing people, right? And the, the easy answer to a do I do this or that question the easy answer is both. Yeah, if you can do both, you pass the test. Do both. Good for you, sure. right? But in, in sure. many circumstances, firefighters find themselves in a situation where they have to decide which one they're going to do, right? And now you have to decide if I can only put the fire out or if I can only rescue this person, which one is going to save more lives? Well, I you think, know. I think a, a, 
a valid example might be, let's say the engine company arrives at this multi multi-family dwelling. They've got fire on four. They stretch a line. They get to the uh, apartment uh, that's involved, and they have a close doorway. So they have a relatively clear uh, hallway to work in. They stretch their line. They get water. Um, as they open the door, it gets air. They find the person. They could easily place that person in the hallway and then take that wet line and put the fire out. I mean, did you save the person? No, they still need medical treatment. They need whatever they need. But you remove them from the environment. You put them in a cleaner hallway, hopefully where the next company finds them. You go in and put the fire out. You know, well, just whatever that takes. And, and that's 45 that's what, minute, whatever. That's what you have to look at in a multiple dwelling where you've got, you know, dozens of people in that building. Dozens of people remain threatened until you put that fire out, right? And and exactly. you have added complication. Like when you have a fire, when you start losing a fire in a single family, what's it do? It blows out the doors and the windows and we all get sticks and marshmallows and roast them up, right? When you have a fire that gets out of hand in a multifamily, you lose the hallways and the stairs, right? And so now right. you have a building that is largely probably still structurally stable probably still has people in it and now you're losing the only way into and out of these places you know other than windows right because those hallways and stairwells don't just serve one family they serve every family in that building or every every family on that floor which is why when we talk about you know fire tactics in these buildings protecting those common means of egress um is so critical Right. And it just goes back to what we you know, said. You know, one, of the things, uh, one of the things we haven't even touched on, Nick, and this is a whole nother rabbit hole, is elevator operations for these types of, of incidents uh, is can we utilize an elevator or do we completely avoid it? Um, avoid you know, that's a whole nother discussion to have. We we don't. <laughs> I, you know, um, if it's four floors, I don't believe you should be using an elevator. I'm, I'm not worried about an elevator until around the seventh floor, until around fire on the seventh floor. Right. Um, right. Right. And. And the uh, the reason I, for that is is that most people would agree with you that if you're using an elevator, you should be getting off of uh, you should be getting off two floors below, right? So right, now, exactly. if I've got fire on seven, that puts me getting off on five. Okay, I'll buy that, you know. But if I've right. got a fire on five, that puts me getting off on three. Yeah, oh, yeah. If, and to if, me, we've we've been if we're if doing you that. You couldn't have run the three so. flights of steps. You know, you that's another that's another uh, show, I guess. You know what I'm saying? But you're going to yeah. waste more time screwing with that elevator, especially under the the fire department control stuff. I mean, that stuff's supposed to be our friend. It's a giant pain in the ass, right? Um, and so you're going to waste. Yeah, you've got and when you're calculating, am I going to use the stairs or am I going to use the the elevator? You've got to calculate in there that finicky fire department control system if it works right if it works and right. and you know if you don't have some kind of other mechanical failure in there so floyd on the right. on the command thing um uh christian brought up here you know we were saying that the command roles should be felt filled by chiefs and the company officer should stay with their company is that what you're saying are you, are, are you saying instead of putting a company officer in charge of the fire floor leave them with their company well, so in in my opinion, I think taking a company officer away from their company, first of all, it robs the efficiency of the company because you take away their, their usual supervisor that everybody knows. The other thing, too, is some of these companies might be short-staffed. If they're going upstairs with three people, you take a company officer away from them from a working standpoint. Now they're a company of two. 
that can make it that can be a huge deficit to how quickly they can move a line or get something done. Yeah. So I'm I'm a firm believer, and this is just my pet peeve. Uh, you know, you can talk to guys that work with me. Company officers belong with the companies, and the chiefs, whatever they are, assistant chiefs, deputy chiefs, chiefs of the department. They should be handling those command roles of divisions. You know, what are you, safety officer, whatever. That that's that's their job. Um, I don't like robbing a company officer. Uh, and then the other side of it too is a company officer generally. You know, he's sort of an engine company guy, so he's very tuned to what you know the line movement, how the engine company's working. The truck company guy, the truck company guy, he might be a little bit better because he can break away. His people might be a little bit more independent. They can work separately of him. But I still don't like taking my company officer. I just think it robs the company as a whole. Well, in I, you know, don't hold me to the numbers, but I'm a wager ninety plus percent of departments in this country, the officer is a working officer, right? There are Absolutely. very, there are very few fire departments out there where the officer just gets to hold the flashlight and point. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, yeah, that, most that, that went away a long. Most truck officers are, are, you know, sweeping the beds, you know, and, and driving the, driving the, you know, hitting the axe for the, the Howigan firefighter, you know, and most engine officers are pulling the line, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you are already fully engaged with your company, your co- company's job, and more than likely you are physically participating in carrying that job out. So, you know, why am I going to let you know, a chief stand outside in his pressed white shirt and look good for the cameras, you know, and ask you to, to do, you know, three jobs when I could yep. send that chief up there to do one of them for you and leave you to the most important jobs of putting the fire out and rescuing people. I'm, I'm a Nick, I'm an advocate like you for any chief officer out there that wants to go to fires, still put a pack on and do work. That, that's where I'm at. That's where my mentality is. Uh, you know, I'm, I still, uh, if I can, I will try to go to every fire. And if I don't say avoid uh, command, but if I can get in division, I'm more than happy to do it for you. The irony is, is the same fireman that you hear bitching about seeing a, a chief in gear and an air pack on the fire floor is the same fireman you'll find bitching at the kitchen table later on that night because these damn chiefs haven't been in an air pack in 20 years yep. and they don't know what it's like. Exactly. Anymore. If you want to work for disconnected chiefs that don't know anything about firefighting anymore and don't care anything about the fire ground anymore, quick way to do it is to discourage them from being firefighters anymore. You know, absolutely. Now, now don't mistake me there. You know, a chief's job on the fire ground is in a command role. You know, in the incident commander role, in the division roles, and all those supporting things. Absolutely. You know, but you know, trust me. I think anybody that's listening to this this rant at eight thirty at night, you know, wants to work. For a chief that cares about going to fires and putting them out, right? And anyway, I hope I hope we get I hope we get nine million likes from all the chiefs out there that still want to go to work because that's that's what it's about. You're messing with some people's retirements plan anymore, boy. They they got to put their gear on. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I promoted to get away from that. You know. Listen, if they don't if they don't want to, I sure will. Oh yeah, Uh, no doubt. So. Well, hey, so we've been bantering here for about an hour or so. I usually try and keep these to about an hour. Um, you know, any closing fl- thoughts on tonight's uh, topic there, Floyd? Well, I think like normal, we always agree that an hour is never enough because we didn't talk really about uh, ventilation in Maldi families. Um, we didn't really talk about some of the, the forcible entry problems that they may run into with uh, Maldi families. Um, so, you know, this is a, a broad topic, and I think – like we, we do these uh, Q&As, I think for everybody listening out there, remember, you've got to know your building stock. 
you can't approach and try to fight fire in every single building stock type the same way. You've got to tweak your strategy, tweak your tactics. We agree the buildings like to burn the same way, but you've got to know what what works well in a single family ranch, what works well in a connected townhome, what works well tactically in a multifamily. So these discussions help us drill down tonight on just one type of building construction. Now, one of the things I hope, Nick, you and I can do over the next, uh, you know, as, as, as combat ready grows, is do more discussions on actually knowing the building construction, more um, nuanced talk on why is why why do we tweak certain tactics in this environment because of that, and we can kind of make those comparisons. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So, fortunately, that's why we have next month. You know, we'll be back on here again next month. <laughs> We had a couple, I, I saw a couple of our ACE truck instructors, Bill and Drew, in the group there. So maybe we'll uh, so maybe can, we'll call them out and get them on the show. Bill and Drew, they can pick up some of this stuff that we didn't get to next month, yeah. guys. That's you. We got some construction and ventilation. Maybe we can follow this up on and everything. Um, so we gotta talk you, guys. About, we, didn't get to the, uh, we didn't get to the stairwells and the top stairwells. We didn't talk about the forcible entry issues at the yep. uh, top. So Absolutely. Thank, thank you guys tons for um, taking time out of your night to listen to us banner. If anybody missed it, the recording will be uh, live in the in the Facebook group um, after we hit end here. Remember, uh, stay engaged, stay combat ready, uh, avoid those internet trolls, and keep on hammering. See you guys next time.